Hey everybody, Chris here with the Veteran Welding Podcast. I'd like to thank today's sponsor, which is TMR Customs, before we kick off the show. TMR Customs, I have personally been using them for a very long time, and honestly, I love their parts. They're perfect, they're done right, never once have I gotten a part that was flawed. They're absolutely amazing. Every part is laser cut, every part, if it's part of a kit, is somehow marked so you know where it goes. You're never fiddle farting around trying to sort it out. Tim and his brother Mike are the owners. They are phenomenal guys. They always have tons of great advice for you and they're always pushing the boundaries. That's who's today's sponsor is. Let's step into the show. Hey everybody, how's it going? Thank you for tuning into today's podcast. Today we have our very first guest on. His name's Tim Rogers. If you guys don't know who he is, you've been lived under, living under a rock, okay? Tim has been in business for going on, I think, about 10 or 12 years now. He is one of the owners of TMR Customs. They're out of Newmarket, Ontario, and they are awesome. They build some of the best products. You've heard them as our sponsor at the start and the end of every show. And honestly, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for Tim and the team that he has there. So, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for uh, having me on, Chris. I think it's a pretty big honor to be a part of what you're doing here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Let's get things going because I know who you are. Some of the guests that are listening to some of the people who are listening to this might know who your company is. But I don't think they really know the background and everything like that. So why don't you give us a couple minute rundown of who you are and then how TMR Customs got, got started. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, so my name's Tim. My business partner is my brother, Mike. So I'm the T, he's the M, and R in Customs is uh, our last name. So that's where we get TMR Customs. That's a common question for us. We grew up here in Ontario. Our passion for off-road and the outdoors started really with my uncle having a Jeep. My uncle had CJ. He'd take uh, like back roads near like his cottage or cabin. We'd get in the, out in the dirt a bit. We did mountain biking, all the typical kid stuff growing up. And I remember as that Jeep got older, my uncle wasn't driving it in the winter. Um, he lent it to my dad. So my dad drove it basically in the winter because obviously it was four-wheel drive. And it chewed through the snow pretty good. And my best memory of that thing was driving with my dad in a snowstorm. And I remember looking down at my feet. I don't think I would have been much older than uh, five or six. And I could see the road going by. And I said, hey, hey dad, I can see, I could, I see the road going by. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's a Jeep. Don't like, don't worry. <laughs> Your seat's good. And then uh, the, the snow is coming down heavier. And uh, he, dad, like, the, 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 snow, the snow's coming inside here. And I look up at the top, and it, it just had a rowdy old soft top that was literally like the, the snow was leaking through. Um, but what I remembered, regardless of the fact, we were being snowed on. I could see the road under my feet. We were, ch- we were chugging through, and uh, I just remembered that Jeep as being uh, indestructible and being a young kid, I had the feeling it could go anywhere. So I grew up and always had an interest and a passion for that. When I turned 16... I'd been working since I was 14. I got a job literally out of the gate as soon as I was old enough and wanted to save off so I could get my own Jeep. So that that's uh, sure as hell what I did. And once I had my own Jeep, kind of modified it for a bit. And then back then, there there was no social media. It was really forums. So you'd get on some local Jeep forums, figure out what guys are doing, connect with people, get out on trail rides. And then it was also the big eye-opener was Pirate 4x4. And then you realize, once you get on Pirate 4x4, you realize how far people could take a Jeep, a truck, their own home-built buggy, how far you could take that off-road, what you could accomplish, and obviously how much fun you can have doing so. So I really wanted to learn how to cut, grind, weld, fabricate. So instead of buying boxed off-the-shelf bumpers and, and offshore stuff for my Jeep, I really wanted to make my own stuff. 
fought a welder with my brother. We literally installed it at my parents' cottage or cabin, like in a little one-car garage that's like two and a half hours from home. We bought a used Pro Tools tube bender as well, and we'd go there on weekends and build stuff for our own Jeeps. Being that Jeeps are social, once we'd make a part for it and get out on a trail ride, well, all it takes is another guy to see that and be like, where'd you get, where'd you get that? And it's like, well, I made that. And then it spawns into, well, you, can you make me one? Well, yeah, sure as hell, I'll make you one. I don't mind working nights, weekends, whatever it takes, grind it out and make an extra buck. And that, that was kind of the start of the whole thing right there. Nice. So that, and th- this was back in 2000, early 2000s time frame. Yeah, exactly. So okay. I, my Jeep, yeah, I got my Jeep in the year 2000. My brother bought TJ Rubicon probably in 0405. And then I think we started smashing out our own parts probably around, probably around 0506. We would have started making stuff. And then we officially registered the business to my customs in 2008. And the push for us to go full time with this was we were working a lot of late nights and weekends making these parts on the side and things were continuing to, to grow. And in 2008, we both worked at an automation shop building automotive assembly equipment. 2008, obviously the economy took a tank and automotive did as well. We were literally phoned on Christmas Eve and we're told like, thanks for working for us, but the company's done come on in on Boxing Day, which to our American friends that aren't familiar with it, that's December 26th, the day after Christmas here in Canada. And they said, come in on Boxing Day and literally pick up your tools. That's it. So that was a huge blow and and, and, and a nice Christmas present. (laughs) And uh, we both just kind of said, you know what? Are we allowed to swear on this podcast, Chris? You you can, (laughs) but don't try to make it every other word. (laughs) No, for sure. So in typical shop talk, we basically said, fuck it. We're not going to work for the man anymore. Let's grow this thing, work for ourselves. Yeah, that was 2008, and we've never looked back, and we've had a lot of uh, fun along the way and uh, enjoy coming to work every day and and making parts for our customers. So so you so when you got laid off you didn't look at it look at it as this is something that's happening to you you look at it as this is happening for us and now we can just pour onto our passion full time 100% I heard you saying that in your last podcast um, I had never considered that as as a line before but I was like man I was like that that makes a lot of sense and for us uh, it's obviously it's terrible losing your job no one wants to go through that but we just kind of flipped the switch and thought how are we going to how are we going to turn this into an opportunity and, and, and make this happen okay so you're sitting there you guys got laid off so you guys have well over a thousand parts if I'm not mistaken that you guys have designed developed and built correct yeah, I think we're up into the, in terms of our SKUs, I think we're up into like the number 2200, 2300. Some of those have been like discontinued or phased out along the way. So I'd say we probably have about 1100 to 1500 like active SKUs that we manufacture here. Holy crap. Okay. Wow. And that, and that, that just for the listeners, that ranges for everything from what, uh, like the YJs to current dates, like yeah, the whole so, gambit? Um, yeah, for sure. So that'd be obviously Jeep parts. So we're looking at currently Gladiator, JL. Then when you get back into TJ, LJ, we've got a bit of YJ and XJ stuff. But truthfully, as those Jeeps get older and there's just less availability, some of those products got to phase out, even with some of the TJ and LJ stuff. But the that's the Jeep-specific stuff. The bulk of our business is the stuff you're familiar with, the do-it-yourself and fabricator parts. So most of our customers have a vehicle-based project, and they're either want to put link suspension and coilovers in it, swap one-ton axles and bigger steering in it. The bulk of our market is the DIYers, those guys that can cut, grind, weld at home and want to uh, tackle their own projects. Okay. So 
2008, you guys go full bore into TMR Customs. At that time, how many products did you guys have? Like, what was your, how many SKUs did you have ready? Or was it all Man. just cardboard CAD? Yeah. yeah, back then it would have been pretty minimal. We probably had, say, 10 to 15 items that we would have, like, quote unquote, manufactured and had, like, on the shelf. And by on the shelf, I mean, literally, we, we took over my parents' basement, um, put in a rack, and we bought from Costco, bought some cardboard bins, and and we cut products and, and fill them up. But a lot of the work we did back then when we were starting was custom, and that would morph into like stocking units. A customer, a lot of times this was someone local would come to us and they'd say, here's the project I'm working on. Um, I need a bracket that does this, or I need a part that solves this. And we'd say, okay, okay like we can definitely produce that. So we'd, we'd draw it up, model it, have it laser cut, machine it, whatever it took to, to make that part. And then if they installed it and it was successful and we thought there was a market for it, then yeah, we would, we would make that as a, a stocking product. And that's one thing we still pride ourselves on to this day. We're really good at listening to our customers. A lot of the new products we develop are really from customer feedback. Someone will say, hey, can you invent this new thing? Or, hey, there's this product on the market. It does about 70% of what I need it to do, but it'd be really great if it had this feature built into it. So a lot of what we do is listening to our customers, developing products for them. And yeah, if they work, then obviously we want to want to roll that out and make that a stocking product because we no longer do custom work. It's just not a good fit for us, the size we're at now. Like a customer can't come to me and say, hey, I got this drawn up on a piece of cardboard. Can you cut that for me or can you machine that for me? <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't do that stuff anymore. But so now it just becomes a, a pretty much, uh, okay, if someone pitches an idea, it's basically just, just put that in the back burner, keep that in the back of our mind. And then once a certain number of customers have spoken up about something, it's like, okay, there's there's a hole in the market or uh, I, can, I can see what these guys want. And we always figure for say every, maybe it's 10 people that tell you they want something, those are the vocal ones. So there's probably another 100 behind the scene that want the same thing. They're just not stepping up and telling you they want it. So that's kind of when we think we want to take the risk and, and plunge and develop a new product. Nice. And it, is it safe to say that that's what you're doing? I know with the JL that you guys have access to, I've seen pictures of it on yeah. social media. Yeah, exactly. So obviously the JL is the newest version of the Wrangler, as well as the JT Gladiator pickup. So having been around a couple of versions of Jeeps, we got a pretty good idea what people do as their first modifications. So we just want to make sure we stay up to date on that. There's no point in for a brand new Jeep like that coming out with all the hardcore well-done stuff right away. Like I'm talking like coilover, like well-done coilover conversions. Uh, the one-ton swap, axle swaps even take a little bit of time to develop. Often that is a few years behind because someone just spent big dough on a brand new Jeep. They don't necessarily want to cut it up on day one. So mm -hmm. on day one, they're probably looking for bumpers, rocker guards, uh, tire carrier deletes, the simple stuff, basically to armor that thing up, diff covers, and so they can get out in the dirt and have fun. And then after a few years, once they got a few payments, hopefully under their belt, they can uh, start to take it to the next level. Yeah. Now, is it... Is that the formula you have used for every new model that's come out? You just sit there, you start basic, and then as the vehicle ages, then you start going more and more hardcore? Yeah. To, to, for the most extent, that's that's what's worked for us. Um, truthfully, we're a little blind to it when... Uh, the Jeep JK came out. So the JK came out in 2007. There was the two-door and then obviously the new four-door. At the time, I hated them. I mean, they went away from the four-liter motor that was in the TJ and LJ, basically a caravan motor. I thought that was a bad platform. I didn't like the four-door at the time. I was like, no, no, no true Jeep enthusiast is going to be into that. So initially, we're, we kind of just, we made some stuff for it and then we kind of 
ignored it for a large, long period of time, which was a huge mistake. We thought like, no, we'll just keep pounding on the TJ and LJ door and really refine what we're doing there. We had those Gs. We knew them inside out. Thought, ah, oh, this JK stuff's a ways out. But in hindsight, that was a mistake. We should have been more uh, early adopters on some of those products and kept up with it. Even a good example is we made a bumper early on for the JK. It was solid. It was really clean. We sold some of them, but ultimately it came down to when we started this, it was me and Mike. It's me and my brother, and we had to design the parts, cut the parts, weld the parts, customer service, box them, ship them. Like It was literally two of us, so you could only do most so much in the day. So we had to take a look, and it's like, okay, those bumpers are great, but they're really time-consuming. We just didn't have the time to make them. It would have been nice back then if we had the capital to say, okay, now we're going to buy another welder, hire a full-time welder, and just go at it. But when you start, you kind of got to uh, run as lean as you can and, and do what you can to scrape by. So it made sense for us at the time, but looking back on it, it's like, man, I, I wonder how many units we could have sold if we stuck with those the whole time, but it, it just wasn't in the cards back then. Yeah. Okay. It's just you and your brother, and you said you guys are like essentially burning, like burning the midnight oil 20 24 seven. What, how did you guys go? And this is one thing that I'm always curious about because my wife and I, she's the other part of veteran welding that nobody really sees. Uh, mm-hmm. Very few people hear about her, but she's a huge support. I always kind of find it hard sitting there and having that conversation where it's just like, I love you, honey, but I'm not talking to you as your husband. I'm talking to you as your business partner. How did you have that? Con- how did those conversations go between you and your brother where it's just like, listen, I don't want this to go south. I love you, buddy, but you need to take care of this. I need to take care of this. We need to outsource. Like, how, how did how did that work? Like, without it, because you and your brother are super tight. Yeah, so th- that's an awesome question. And uh, I feel like daily people find out <laughs> we're brothers and they're like, how do you work with your brother? I'd kill my brother. Like, that's, that's, <laughs> often the, that's often the question. How do you work with your brothers? What we found was Mike and myself, we both kind of have complementary skill sets. I initially went to school for graphic design. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, went, I did a three-year program for graphic design before I got into machining trade or anything of the sort. Uh, when we initially launched a website, like I did our logo, I could do the photography for it, I could build a a basic HTML website, and we're kind of up and running. Whereas Mike had gone to school for uh, tool and die manufacturing and uh, mechanical design, so he could draw our parts, new awesome manufacturing options, and knew how to see those through. So it's kind of as though he ran... Um, and we're talking real small scale when we started, but Mike kind of handled the manufacturing side of it, and I kind of handled the customer service side of it. So we were each, okay. we never really had to sit down and say, hey, you do this, you do that. We kind of each knew what we were responsible for, and we were each responsible ultimately for different things. So I think as long as we were both putting in uh, the hard work, that's kind of what uh, what made it uh, strong and made it su- successful. Nice. Okay. Now, actually, that that's a good caveat right there. Let's start talking about some of your success because you ha- your parts have been in some of the hands of the most well-known builders and race teams in the industry. Um, for guys who, who don't know, you have a uh, trailing arm kit that you and Jake Berkey work together on, right? Yeah, that's right. So it's basically a kit um, developed from some parts we made. We've worked with Jake for a long time. He was like a customer of ours back when he was racing and he, before he had 
plunged full-time in a busted knuckle. And obviously, once he plunged full-time in a busted knuckle, he's a dealer, a reseller for our parts. We had made some of these parts, and he was kind of looking to put together a kit. So we just worked with him, built a kit that he ran on his ride buggy, and ultimately proved it out. Once we knew that was kind of a formula for success on these parts, then yeah, we make what we call Jake Berkey Signature Series uh, trailing arm kit. They're available through us. They're available for the, through Boston Knuckle as well. And yeah, that's something that's uh, kind of just worked well for both of us, us from the manufacturing side and uh, him from reselling them to his customers. And obviously he builds full-on chassis, so he sells a lot of those to his customers he's manufacturing chassis for. Nice. Now, how, how do you get, how, how do you, this is one of the specific questions I, I really want to kind of dive in with you because it's, I've tried teaming up with people and they're just like, nah, well, you know, and I get it. I'm still veteran welding is still really, really fresh. So we don't have the reputation like you do, but how, how did you go about getting a hold of like Tim Cameron, Jake Berkey, Ian Johnson? The, how'd you go about that? Like, did they find you? Yeah. Did you go out and like, you know, headhunt them? How does it work? How'd you do it? A lot of it with drivers or racers had just been like meeting them at events, whether that's they come by your trade show booth, you approach them or you're introduced to them through a friend or someone that maybe someone else sells your parts and they're just like, hey, racer, you should get on to these TMR guys. They make quality stuff. So the truth is that all that stuff's been really organic. I think we would have met Jake. We did the Unlimited Off-Road Expo that was down in Kentucky years back and some of our customers here from Ontario were down at the show. I think they were walking around in TMR gear and, and Jake or one of his friends spotted them and was just like, hey, like, are you, are you guys TMR? Like they build badass parts, and then these guys come running back to my booth. They're just like, "Oh, like Jake Berkey and his friends knew of you or whatever." So I was like, "Nice, okay." These good. The good thing is those people are already customers; so they already know your parts and they're familiar with it, rather mm-hmm. than as opposed to a cold call and saying, "We're Tim and Mike. We make these parts. Do you want to try them?" They had already purchased some of our parts, so they kind of, they proved them out for themselves, which is obviously that happened organically that's a really good relationship same with meeting uh tim cameron we met him at a show we were introduced to him by scott at sunfire off-road who's got like a meticulous reputation in the off-road industry scott's great friend of ours and another dealer wholesale for parts so uh he introduced us to tim basically tim tim Tim, here's tim um and we just started talking parts and uh what we make and how we could hopefully help his race program and for us a lot of the association with with pro drivers is it just builds your brand equity i mean people see someone at that level running your part and that they trust it and they trust it to win them races some of these guys that's how they make a livelihood so i mean it really speaks to the quality of your stuff and for us it's it's some amazing prototyping and testing too because i mean ultimately if it can hold up to some of what these drivers put it through hell yeah it's going to hold up to your recreation use on the weekend right like mm-hmm. not everyone thinks they wheel hard but i mean let's be realistic you're not wheeling as hard as some of these guys right so if it lasts for them it's definitely gonna last for you tenfold so uh that that's what's really important to us for working with uh racers and professional drivers okay and, and that's that that that's one thing i'd like like to ask you i'm pretty sure the answer is yes but i'm gonna ask it anyway uh, there, there's no difference between the parts they run and the parts that joe Schmo can buy off the shelf and put on as TJ for this weekend coming up. They're the exact no. same parts. Yeah, exactly. Same parts. Uh, the only time the parts are different is if those guys are running a prototype. But if they're on a prototype, it's to prove it out, and then we're going to launch it into production. A good example of that is Jade and Kyle Wickham. They race Ultra 4. They race in both the uh, 4800 Legends class as well as 4400 Unlimited class. they got a buggy in each. Nice. They're two brothers, so I mean, we kind of 
had a cool connection with them. It's brothers that race and we're brothers that race and manufacture. So we worked with those guys on uh, prototyping and testing our uh, lifetime Himes when we first came out with them. They had issues on their 4800 car where it would, due to the suspension geometry, they would just roast through upper rod ends or Heim joints. So we made a size that fit their fit them. It was either the three quarters, seven eighths. I don't remember off the top of my head. It's a smaller size joint. We built them, shipped them to them. They ran them at hammers in two classes. They ran them at more of the Ultra Four series. They would then take the joints out of the car, ship them back to us. We take them apart in our shop here, inspect them for wear. These things showed no wear. And we put them back together, mail them back to them. They put them in their car and uh, they're still racing on them to this date. So when customers ask us, what's the longevity of this part? I'm like, I know compared to a standard rod end, that would last those guys one race, a standard rod end. Yeah. Uh, we put our lifetime Himes in there and they've ran over 10 races with nothing more than greasing them. So that's really for us proving it out. And again, it's a good example of these guys put their car through hell at King of the Hammers. You're not doing that on the weekend. So if, it, if it's good enough for them, it's, it's definitely more than good enough for you for recreation use. Yeah. I know a buddy of mine that actually got me into welding there years ago. He was building stock cars. And that was one of the, one of the questions I remember asking him was, you know, what's, what's the most expensive part about racing other than actually building the car, like maintenance wise, like what's the most expensive part? And he was like rod ends guaranteed rod ends and it's just like holy shit he's like oh yeah and he had like a big box from like the season before and he's just like yeah these are all garbage it's like holy crap it's crazy to a standard uh race team a rod end is a consumable just like a bolt i mean in between races um they're gonna throw those out a lot of people think race teams only take parts that are free or that they're sponsored that's not the case any race team that's serious they want to win so if there's a better part out there they're willing to pay for that part because a lot of the times winning is their number one goal they don't care if you're going to comp them apart but it's crap they're not going to run it they want to run the best of the best so yeah a rod and bolt lots of that stuff is just consumable comes out of the car and it's replaced but uh we found with these lifetime hines and these guys testing them out the longevity of them is outstanding so i mean caught like just from a cost benefit standpoint it's crazy for the race program yeah okay um <clears throat> let's keep trudging forward so we've been talking about your success. Your parts have spoken for you. Like they've, they, they're a testament to your capabilities for designing and building and manufacturing and why they're some of the best in the industry. Um, now, I think this would be a good, good time to start talking about the, your race series that you have because you guys kicked off your own race series from what I remember just because you wanted to go racing and there's no race league like it in your area, correct? Yeah, pretty much. We found anyone local to us on Ontario here if you wanted to go off-road racing for the most part you're going to the states so I watch people build these cars here then you got to travel 8 to 12 hours to hit anything even remotely close and I was like this silly like literally you're you're going that far you take all your money right out of here and, and go blow it down on hotels and support that local economy down there. I'm like, why can't we do some of this here and spend some of your money local? So we developed the TMR Customs Off-Road Racing Series. I think we're coming in a year five in 2020, which is pretty cool. But what it was is we went to some existing um, small events and lots of these small events happened every year, but they'd only draw like 
five to ten trucks because they kind of advertised locally. So we thought if we link all of these up and create a series, we can now have unified rules for all of the races, and we can have a unified point system, track points, and ultimately have class champions at the end of the year. So we approached these races and said, hey, do you want to basically join our series? And the idea originally was they'd they'd run the race on their own. They'd, they'd be autonomous, but they just had to conform to our rules and class rules. And basically that's mostly safety related as well as what class the vehicles fit into. And then, yeah, it's it's built and it's grown. So now we're, now we're to the point where we have roughly 25 to 30 competitors each weekend going to each of these events. So, I mean, we've kind of tripled the number of drivers that go to each one and now we've got this whole crew and really honestly it's a family of racers that go to all whether it's four or five events a year and it, it's seeing some real growth so it's it's been a lot of work and it's kind of a side project because truthfully it itself doesn't make money the only way i can monetize that race series is if someone from the race series buys parts for me either to maintain their race vehicle to upgrade their vehicle whether they buy one of my chassis and that's been great but the series itself doesn't pay so it's kind of a tough balance of if i'm spending some of my daytime at tmr customs on that it's like that's taken away from tmr customs which is really what uh what keeps things rolling so it's just been a bit of a a juggling act but we try to figure out how we can grow um and bring on some volunteers and ultimately our goal there is to have a small core of some paid staff and have some other people uh jump in and and help us out there so we can keep growing this thing and hopefully take us to the next level nice what what does the next level look like for you i think we want truthfully just improved tracks because some of the stuff we do right now the races are really short no being no different than the team customs we try and listen to our customers and let's call our customers here the racers so we did like a year-end survey to find out what people want and really people want to race longer so we're talking be in the car longer more endurance style racing people love rocks and natural terrain where possible people want to go fast hit some jumps so we're looking to build longer courses or race longer on existing courses so most of what we do right now is time attack so it's one vehicle on the course at a time and it's basically just time your lap we want to move to more wheel-to-wheel racing where a whole class of cars is out there together we've done that a couple times at some of the races the intensity just ramps up i mean to have a car beside you either trying to pass you or you pass them the adrenaline rush from that compared to just racing yourself on the track is is a whole nother level so we want to move to having all wheel-to-wheel races and be in the car for a longer period of time and call it more like endurance racing similar more to like what the ultra four guys are doing and we just want to kind of Following their footsteps and move our racing more to what more to what they do. They're in the car for longer and really gotta prove that your equipment can last for hours as opposed to pin it to the floor and make your equipment last for a minute. Yeah. So how how long are the, your current tracks? Like how, like how long does a, the average race last? Yeah, that's a good question. So most races you do two or three laps and it's cumulative time. So you'll go out on course, say three times, we're going to add up all three laps. They all count. And that's your total elapsed time for the day. And that, that basically seeds you in your position. So an average lap would be, let's call it two to three minutes. So over the course of the day, you're probably racing for 10 to 12 minutes. And we want to get it to the point where you are racing for hours. That's really what we want. We want you to be in the car for hours and prove you can build a durable car that can, uh, withstand that punishment for a long time and uh you've got the mental wits to keep it together for a long period of time and uh and run a successful race 
Yeah, because that that there that there alone up in the time that you'd be racing would increase. Like, not saying you don't have high caliber racers, but it'll like it, it'll force them to go to that next level to become higher and higher caliber of racers and more attention to detail. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Everyone would have to improve, obviously, like on prep of the car, even how you build the car, make sure you have adequate fueling capacity, that you have adequate cooling to run for that long. There's lots of challenges associated with that, and I think it's a good a good challenge for everyone. And the one cool thing I was mentioning earlier, like class and technical specifications, we've got three classes. So we have a stock class, which is pretty much for the most part, they're Jeep-based, but it can be any truck, but basically in its stock form with up to 37-inch tires. So that's really budget-friendly and easy to get into. A lot of people just assume racing is, is blow money and blow huge money, but there's a lot of people in that stock class really doing it on a budget and really having a lot of fun. And then we're finding, now that we've been doing this for a few years, there's some evolution. So some people from stock, they're moving up to modified class, which is kind of the middle class. Then people from modified class, some of them are moving on up to unlimited class. So we really see it as kind of a, a feeder. The Unlimited's the biggest class, and then the other ones are just kind of like part of the funnel system. But, uh, yeah, I think there's there's growth in all of them, and it's crazy how many people come out to the stock class now because, yeah, it is, it is more affordable, and they're having just as much fun as any of the other classes. So let, let, let's talk. Okay, so now the guys know how your race team works. Generally overview. Let's talk about your race team, like you, like your network of guys that support you going out racing because because what the the reason i want to dive into this a little bit too is this is where i really think that the veteran community can benefit from and not just like dirt racing it could be you know track racing whatever but i really think there's a strong connection here that not a lot of people put two and two together i'd like to talk about so if you could chinwag a bit about how like your setup goes pre-race post-race and even during the race like if you can give examples on like you know we broke down and you know this is how it played out yeah okay perfect so um our race team for Team Our Customs here, um, pretty much a three-man show. So it's myself, Tim, my brother Mike, and then uh, one of our employees here, Stephen Donovan. Um, he's been our longest-serving employee. He's been with us for quite a while now. I think we're coming up on like year eight or nine. And um, we, the three of us, build our cars here at TMR. So what we race is one of our uh, TMR race series chassis. Steven has built two of these cars with us and does all the prep with us. So in terms of building the cars, when we first built the our first race buggy, myself, Mike, and Steven, we'd come in every morning at 5.30 or 6 a.m., and the three of us would just smash on this buggy till 9 a.m. Okay, lights are on, rest of the staff's here, back to reality. And then we would stay late in the evenings and weekends to finish that car. Once that car was built, then we start taking it to the races. We always split driving duties, so literally we usually rotate. So like one season, uh, two of us, two out of three will drive. The following season, the other two out of three will drive. We just all kind of want to get a chance to, to run the car, and we think it's fair, and ultimately we're just out to have fun like anyone else. When it comes to from race to race, say we race on a Saturday, the car will come back to the shop on Monday, and that week it'll get stripped. So the further you take the car apart, the better job you can do inspecting any components for wear, looking for any breakage, cracks, things that should be replaced. So we're 
big on race prep and doing a proper job of that because we want to make sure we take the best car possible to the race. I mean, we're not professional racers. We're total amateurs. We learn as we go. We literally go race to race, and hopefully over time, our skill set improves. But, I mean, we don't have a lot of free time to get out and practice, let alone a track to go practice at. We just take it as it comes. But really, because we work a lot of early mornings, late nights together, like the three of us, we're kind of our own family and team and we're lucky enough to some of our employees will help us out along the way like we'll say to them like hey we're going to be working late say this thursday night prepping the car do you mind staying late i could have you machine some parts i could have you do this prep because it, it takes a lot of people to uh to make a race program successful that's something we take pretty seriously so we get some support from friends in that but for the most part it's the three of us and race to race it's it's the three of us so i feel like Anyone could get jump in and speak up and get involved in a race team. We even had, that's how we hired another one, actually two of our employees. A young guy came to us and said, pretty much, can I help you out on that car? And he would come in evenings with us and he'd do anything we could. I mean, right down to, hey, I don't have a task for you right now. Just sweep up. And dude would sweep the floor for hours. And then that turned into, he said, hey, I, I got another friend. He's looking to get like throwing some hours and he thinks this would be cool. Bring him in. If you, if you know how to listen to instruction and take things seriously and, and want to be involved, and, then, yeah, I think uh, you could approach any race team. And like you say, this isn't limited to dirt. You could talk to someone that races moto. You could talk to someone that drag races or at the strip. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get into it. We find the off-road racing pretty uh, rewarding because most other racers or competitors will, will help each other out. So, I mean, everyone takes it pretty seriously, but if my biggest competitor broke broke down and a part out of my toolbox or part off my car would help them, honestly, I'd give it to them. Everyone's, uh, it's a pretty big family community. So that's one reason we do like the off-road racing. Everyone's uh, pretty cool and we'll help each other out. Yeah. And just, I think we talked about this at Christmas there when I came down, but I just want to say it again for the guys who are listening and maybe are having a hard time connecting the two and they're like, well, this is cool. Guys, th- think about it like this. Like if you're sitting there and you're you're going out on uh, training exercise, everybody's sitting there and they're pulling their weight together to to get their to get their ducks in a row to get their shit together and then same thing when they're out in the field if something breaks nine times out of ten like you know a couple call signs will pull together or pull their guys together to get an engine swapped out to get a tranny done to get you know this that and the other thing whatever the problem is to work it out and get so the next day the next op the next mission whatever it's coming up the guys can go out and do it again effectively and not get hurt injured or like you know if you're overseas not compromise the the task at hand so that's that's one of the things where i think vets who when they get out they they feel like they're lost or they like you know i have nothing that's transferable this is one of those things guys where you can directly transfer over your skills all you got to do is instead of fixing you know a tank or a lap three or a coyote or whatever you're doing it on a race car which in my personal opinion i think is 10 times better than a tank or anything else (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think it's rewarding i mean you could get like you say you could be involved in uh the preparation the 
on-site fixing of a car at a race, even the simple stuff like loading the car up, making sure all the supplies are packed. We spend countless hours before and after a race making sure you're bringing all the spare parts, all the proper fluids you might need, and all the tools to deal with that. That's, that's a massive undertaking in of itself. I mean, if you have good organizational skills and can assist with that, anyone would love your help. I think that would be a huge asset. Yeah. Now, do you have any vets that race in your series? Yeah, we do. Being that uh, we're in Ontario here, we've got kind of a, a good contingent of racers that are all uh, active duty military based out of Petawawa. Um, so off the top of my head, um, I can think of three gentlemen. Like right now, I'm probably coming up short, but uh, I can think of three guys that are that are active duty military, like I say, based in Petawawa, and they race with us, and uh, they're, they're awesome people to be around, and I think they, yeah, they'd be like an awesome gateway to, uh, to making connections like that. Nice. Okay. And you, you personally, this is this is something else I'd like to dive into a little bit here. I know we're probably you're probably gonna have to get back to work here soon. But um, you personally, have you ever had any experiences working with vets either at TMR Customs or in previous positions of employment? I have not. I wouldn't have direct experience working with a veteran. I feel like either. Like the customers I know that are veterans or some of my friends um, or these customers that have even become friends, um, I think they'd make badass employees and badass like team members. They know how to listen. They understand structure. And I feel they're very detail-oriented. So working in a welding machine or fabrication shop, I think they'd be – I think a lot of the skills learned in the military would be like an ideal transfer over. So uh, I, I could see how that would be a great fit. Now, does – do you guys, I know you, uh, you don't have a journeyman welder on staff, do you? Correct. We do not. Yeah. But do you have a journeyman machinist by chance? I do not currently know. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. No, the reason I'm asking is just trying to think like, so if guys are like, want to do both, like, you know, get a trade and, mm-hmm. you know, be part of your race team and stuff like that, be part of your team at the shop, if they can go about that. Well, I guess, no, your brother's a journeyman tool and die, isn't he? Yeah, and I mean, we've uh, we found like the whole, in Ontario anyways, like the apprenticeship program in that stream just seems to kind of be broken or there's a disconnect. Um, we found with the like machining and that, if you can do the job, you can do the job. Um, whether you got a sealer or a ticket or that doesn't, like doesn't mean a whole lot in the real world. So we find like a lot of kids come out of school and they're told, oh, they're in school, you, you, gotta, you gotta have this, go and get it. But uh, we find... It, like lots of things you learn in school, it doesn't necessarily transfer. It's not the real world. Mm-hmm. So we found um, if you can get someone like with a skill set and they're moldable and they're a good listener, oftentimes that's going to make make the best employee. So let's start wrapping this up because we're coming on about forty five minutes here. What does the future hold for TMR Customs? Like, what what are some of those like bucket list goals you want to see TMR Customs achieve and just dominate or end changes you'd like to see in the industry? So there's two different questions there. Okay, cool. For us personally, we're family business. Obviously, my brother and myself, both my parents actually work for us full time. So they were kind of our first two hires. My dad's a retired school teacher and he'd come in after hours and pack boxes for us. And now literally he'll do anything around the shop we need him to do. My mom does all our bookkeeping and accounting. So we like that we're family business. My, myself and Mike, we both have kids. I've got a three and five year old. He's got a five month old at this point. So uh, we have our kids around the shop a lot and we really hope they'll kind of grow up in this business and see 
the, the fun side of it and enjoy the hard work that we put in and see what the rewards are. So I'm hoping we can grow as a family business and have lots of fun in the future doing so. For us too, in terms of bucket list stuff, like we were just down at King of the Hammers again last week just for a couple of days to watch the race, but everyone always says, when are you guys going to race this? When are you going to race this? And it's total bucket list for us. I mean, being 40 hours away from there and running like a pretty uh, busy shop here, it's tough to get the necessary time off and logistically that'd be a challenge. So I'd like to uh, see us or I'm like, I tell most people, my like, oh, that's a bucket list thing for my kids. So at some point I would like to see us or my kids in that race. That'd just be a, a very cool accomplishment and just keep growing our team here. Um, everyone on staff with us now is awesome. They come to work with a, a positive attitude and uh, nothing but smiles and really kill it every day. So we just keep wanna adding to our team. And yeah, hopefully we keep growing this race series thing. That's primarily our, our, a, a side job in the summer. And hopefully we can build that team out, like I say, and have some uh, pay positions for the race series to help that grow. Nice. Okay. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you would like to talk about or go on, go into detail on the, the, the floor yeah. is yours, buddy. For sure. So, uh, one thing when I listened to your, your, I believe it was like your last podcast, you said sometimes civilians will say to you, thank you for your service. And mm-hmm. you didn't really know how to respond to that. And I just want to say, when I tell uh, a member of the military, thank you for your service. What, what I truly mean is, um, I think you do a job I'm not like I'm not willing or I'm not geared or, or made to do. I just thank you for doing that and keeping us safe and fighting for our freedom. So I think when someone says that to you, I, I don't think you should brush it off and just think of it as I'm doing my job because your, your job's pretty damn important. And if someone's thanking you for that, I don't think they're, they're willing to stick their neck out and do that job like you are. So I just want to say thank you to you. And that was my interpretation of, uh, of a, what I want to tell you after hearing your last podcast there. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. And yeah, I don't know. We covered a lot of stuff. I think it was pretty fun chatting with you. And yeah, for us, the most important thing is, uh, I mean, it's basics, but it's really hard work and treating customers right. We never want anyone to be disappointed or dissatisfied with our parts. If someone has a problem with something, we want to hear it and we want to remedy it. So we just try and uh, treat people with old school customer values. We find in a lot of industry's customer service is dead um and you get treated poorly it seems everywhere you go oh yeah um but but ultimately the way i look at it is i i myself aren't a complainer if i go somewhere to get bad service i just don't open up my wallet for them again that's how i can that's how i can lay a beating on them so i just try and shop at places that treat you good and then uh in terms of what you asked uh where the industry's going or that yeah um this industry is a blast. It seems like it's, it's growing and evolving every day. Um, one thing I'd like to see is when people are buying parts for their vehicle, whether that's a Jeep, a truck, or you're, you're building a cheap chassis or tube buggy, just try and choose a Canadian or U.S.-made product um, and have more pride in that. Uh, a lot of times you're supporting like a small family business like mine, um, and I think your money goes a lot further and you get a lot, you get treated better and ultimately get a better product than if you're buying from a uh, the big brand shills that are respectively let's call them the Walmart off 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 road, and they're just selling uh, offshore cheaply made products. So, I'd like to see co- consumers take a lot of pride in where their parts are from, and you should choose a Canadian or U.S. made product uh, whenever you have the chance because it's going to be better quality, and you're supporting people in your community. Yeah. Now, there, there's two things I want to talk about. One, you have this uncanny ability to remember intimate details about people. And I remember uh, back in 08 when I was building my Ranger, you and I were chin wagon going back and forth and you're like, 
you know, doing what you do, giving me the right advice, steering me out of, you know, making bad decisions, stuff like that. And then there was about, I think about a three year period where like, and that was the transition going from military to civilian world and everything else like that. And there was a three year period where I didn't talk to you at all. And as soon as, as soon as I called you, I'm like, Hey Tim, you probably don't remember me, but this is who I am. And this is the project I was doing. And you were like, Oh yeah, man, how's it going? I haven't seen you in a while. How's the truck build coming along? Last time we talked, you were having this issue here or whatever. And you, you've done it time and time again. And I've seen you do it with other customers when we came down to your open house last year. And it is awesome. Like it is so welcoming because it made it, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, damn, I actually matter. Like this is, this is awesome. For sure. I mean, I don't always remember uh, everyone by name, but I can remember everyone by either face or name. And generally, if we start talking, I remember your build or project or whatever you initially told me about. Um, I don't know what it is. I can. I just seem to be able to store a bit of information on everyone. Uh, that's gotten tougher over time as we have more and more customers. But uh, there's generally not someone, if I spend some time talking to you, whether that's on phone or in person, I'm going to remember your name, your build, or your face. Um, no question. And uh, for us, that's the part that's like part of the uh, fun of it. I mean, we just, we sell you metal parts. I mean, they're nothing more than stealing a box, but you put on your vehicle, um, you use it and you bring it to life. And for us, the fun part is seeing people get their projects done out of the garage and into the dirt and putting a smile on their face. And, and that's really the, uh, the payoff. So when people come back to us and they're like, I use your product and it helped build me this, or here's your product installed on something. For us, there's nothing better than that. So we love seeing the, uh, we love seeing our parts getting used and abused. That's what they're made for. Nice. Now, uh, one thing I'm surprised you haven't mentioned yet, your open house. When, yeah, when's that sure. happening this year and what does it entail? Yeah, so our open house is generally on the first Sunday in May. It's held here at TMR Customs in Ontario, Canada. What it is, is for the most part, like it's a gathering of like-minded off-road enthusiasts. So we get Jeeps, trucks, two buggies. We get a lot of people up from our racers and it's kind of a show and shine for that. So you can, it's being that it's in May, you can bust out your project you've been working on all winter, debut it here, get a lot of eyes on it and really be proud of your project. We always have like a food vendor on site. We do prize and raffle them off every year. And something new that we started last year that I'm excited we're going to continue with is you came in all the way from Alberta and did welding demos for our customers. And we basically laser cut some coupons with their logos on them and your logo on them. And customers could sit with you, get some basic theory and lay beads. Um, And it was like a wicked teachable moment. For us, it's important because a lot of our products do need to be welded and fitted to a vehicle because you're doing something custom with it. And we just want to show people that um, that skill set, it's totally within reach. If you got the patience, the knowledge is out there, you can easily seek it out and it's nothing more than a lot of practice. So for you to kind of uh, inspire some people to try welding and like, I know like it would have flipped the switch for some people and they would have been like, okay, I can, I can do this and I can do more on my vehicle as opposed to paying a friend, paying a shop, whatever. I always say the more you can do for the most part, your money is going to go twice as far if you can, if you can take care of the install yourself. Um, and you can, you can do your own custom creations. You can take our parts and modify them and use them in a way they were never meant and uh, use your own creativity. So it was really cool of you having done that. And it's really cool that uh, you're planning to come back and do that for us again. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think the, the best part though, last, <clears throat> excuse me, best part about teaching last year though, was afterwards when 
your wife was like, I want to weld, I want to weld. And you're like, well, you can't, you, you're wearing flip-flops. And then <laughs> I think it was you or your brother just put like the welding gloves over their flip-flops. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> she, she, made, she made it through unharmed and uh, laid down a nice weld. Um, the best part for me, actually, I don't, I don't even think I've told you this, but uh, my dad tried welding with you. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. And, and so uh, he thought it was pretty cool and he came to me and said like, hey, do you think I can learn how to weld so if we got like downtime on our machine during the day um i just set him up with some practice stuff he bought we we got him a helmet uh sorry my mom got him a helmet and some gloves and some gear for christmas and he just practices away and truthfully he's building his skill set and he's starting to weld some parts for us around here so i mean uh that is that awesome was, that was truthfully inspired by you and you kind of gave him the shot because i mean he probably, if he came to us during the day, we'd be like, no, like, <laughs> we're too busy. Like, you know, just sometimes you can't step back and do some of that fun stuff. But uh, he got to try it with you, and he was better than I thought. I think he surprised himself. So uh, he's just been practicing away. So, I mean, I know you definitely inspired him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you kind of screwed him, too. You gave him another job to do around here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, helps everybody out, I guess. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Well. Let's, uh, I think that's a good uh, spot to put a pin in it. I know I'd like to have you on again in the future there, but, um, yeah. So where can, where can everybody find you? Like what are your socials? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So, uh, if you're looking for our product or more just, uh, information, we got an awesome about us page that kind of tells our story. Um, you can just find that at tmrcustoms.com. Um, and if you're looking to keep up with what we're around doing around here on the shop, we kind of show a lot of behind the scenes stuff and how we make parts, which a lot of shops don't do, um, primarily because they don't make anything themselves. Um, so you're going to look us up on Instagram, just simply at TMR Customs. Facebook as well, just facebook.com slash Customs. We post the same content for, to both and get involved with us there. If you got questions about a process, questions about a part, just reply to, uh, reply to our photos and, and get involved. I myself handle pretty much all of that, so it's going to be me engaging and speaking with you. So, I mean, you're hearing it right from the top. So, if you got a question, concern, want to know how to do something, just ask. I, I like to think we're a fountain of knowledge and we want to uh, help spread that, so we don't mind being asked anything. And then if you're looking for more information on the TMR Customs Off-Road Racing Series, we got a dedicated website, which is just tmrraceseries.com. That's got all the events standings, uh, rule book, technical book, uh, uh, in, sorry, technical inspection, that's all posted there. And we've got Instagram as well for TMR Race Series and a Facebook page as well for TMR Race Series where you can just kind of uh, get involved, see what we're up to. And if you're local, whether you want to race or you want to spectate, just uh, come out, check it out, um, and try to get involved. On your race series, is there a list of all the tracks that you guys go to and when you're going there? Yeah, there is. Perfect. The information for the dates um, has just honestly started to be announced like last week. And then I think I've got another one or two dates we're going to be able to pump out um, either this week or next week. So, yeah, the, the most accurate place to go for that information is tmrraceseries.com. Uh, you'll see the dates, the track locations, and as we get closer to the event, we'll update it with start times, cost for drivers to register, cost for spectators, lots of these events you can uh, camp at or bring your RVs. So we post information for that. So definitely if you want concrete, uh, straight from the horse's mouth information on the racing events, tmrraceseries.com is where you got to be. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Tim. It means a lot. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you later. For sure. I had a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, I was honored that uh, you invited me to be a guest on your podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.
Thanks, Chris. Okay. Well, everybody, that's a wrap for today's episode. Before we sign off, I would like to thank TMR Customs again, who is the sponsor of this episode. They are amazing. TMRCustoms.com has everything that you need to build your off-road rig, whether it's a mall crawler, whether it's a rock crawler, whether it's a tube buggy. You doesn't matter what it is, okay? Head on over to tmrcustoms.com and they will get you set up right the first time. I personally have been using TMR Customs since 2008 and absolutely love them. Never once have I gotten the wrong advice from them. They've always led me in the right direction the first time around. I'm signing off, guys. This is Chris Reeder, your host for the Veteran Welting Podcast. Cheers. Stay focused.